I want to welcome you to Element City Church. My name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here. To those of you tuning in online at home, we want to welcome you as well. Tonight is Jersey Night. So you get to see me in my slime green. That's the official name of this color. And my wife continues to make fun of me every time I wear it. So if you see her just like, you know, making snarky comments in worship, uh, just tell her to knock it off, okay? Um, but yeah, some of you look really good. We've got Cowboys jerseys out here. We've got some Packers jerseys, Astros down here. Someone's rocking, is it Juve over there? Got some Italian football. We are all over the map, so it's fantastic. Even the Bears, like he's got the Bears going. They play tomorrow night. I'm sorry that my Patriots are going to win. It's going to happen. It's the Lord's team. It is what it is. But we've got a party going on afterwards tonight. So this is our little fan fest that we like to do every October. So we're going to have a little bit of a shortened service. So that means for those of you at home, Sunday night football, maybe by 6 o'clock, you can actually flip over and not feel guilty. That's the goal. So we're going to have food trucks out here in the parking lot. And if you're at home, there's still time that you can drive out here and join us for the food trucks. I think we've got barbecue. We've got a taco truck that's coming. We've got a cheesecake truck. Hello. Cheesecake, anyone? No? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Anyway, we're excited about tonight. So uh, if you're new and this is your first time joining us, I promise we're not super sports obsessed. Uh, it's just for one night to have some fun. Uh, but we'd love to get to know you if it's your first time here. We've got the 10-minute party that's going on uh, after the service. And so Pastor Jack will be back there. And actually, none of that's going to happen tonight because we got the party. So it, just strike that. I was in uh, autopilot mode. So no 10-minute party tonight. So if you want to get connected at the church, do this. Take your phone out. That's right. The pastor is telling you, you can take your phone out in church. There's a phone number that's going to pop up on the screen. If you text 520-340-6868, you can do this at home as well. Uh, you'll get a link that's going to be texted back to you. Tap the link, pop in your name, your email. That'll let us sufficiently internet stalk you so that we can tell you more about ourselves and how you can get connected here at the church. We won't stalk you. That's a joke. People used to laugh at that one. All right, I'll come up with a new one next time. All right, so uh, yeah, let's all stand together. Uh, we are just excited to worship tonight. Jack's going to be sharing from First Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to be talking about heaven, so that's kind of cool. That's exciting, you know. Um, but one thing I love about this church, uh, one thing I love about Elements, um, man, what a blessing it is that we get together to do this. Uh, and I was just with family last night up in Phoenix, and my aunt was just like, oh my gosh, uh, you guys, like just she during the the, the um, lockdown. She's like, it's just so hard to find a church where I could sit at home and I could worship with what was on the screen. Uh, and your church was the first one that just like the quality of the sound, like I say that to brag a little bit on our sound guy, Micah. If you don't know Micah, he's super, super embarrassed right now. But what I love about the church is just that, that spirit doesn't just reside in Micah. We have a team of people who just go to great lengths. So for a church of this size to be able to gather together to do what we do at the level that we do it is just such a blessing. It's phenomenal, and it's just, it's a gift. It's a wonderful thing to have so many wonderful people in such uh, a smaller, mid-sized community, if we're being honest. Uh, and that's a blessing to me. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful that we've got a church that, that cares about those who are at home, that they get to have an experience that way. Not just the people in the room, as you know, like we, we care about both of that. That's amazing. So we also care about other churches in town. That's why we want to pray for the Church of the Week. This week, it's Manatial de Amor. And for anyone who speaks Spanish, if I butchered that, I'm so sorry. Uh, so we want to pray for uh, Nefali Cabrera, I believe is how you say the name. Nefali Cabrera, that's the pastor at Manatial de Amor. So we're going to pray God's blessing over them. We're going to pray God's blessing over tonight. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, we love you. We thank you uh, that you're here tonight already. And we pray that you would begin to stir in our hearts and you would awaken us to your presence, Jesus, to your glorious goodness. 
that it would uh, stir something in our soul and in our affections that would cause us to cry out to you in worship tonight. That's why we gather together to sing these songs and to look into your word is we want to celebrate you, Jesus. We want to sing of the good things you've done. We want to sing about your character and we want to lift you up and we want to hear from you. We thank you for Manateal de Amor and the, um, just the ministry that they get to provide here in town. We pray for Pastor Cabrera there, and we just ask God that you would continue to, to bless them and their reach as they uh, seek to bring the hope of Jesus to the people who don't know him here in the community. I know that's their heart. That's their passion. Uh, that's what their pastor wrote. And so would you bless them as they seek to evangelize in this community and to, to bring the gospel to those who need it, Lord? Would you give them favor as they do so? And we just pray uh, your favor over elements, that it would continue, God, that as we uh, worship tonight, God, that you would be here and that we would be moved by your spirit. And so, God, we're excited for what you want to do tonight. Uh, and we just pray, would you come, Lord Jesus, do what only you can do. We pray it all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.
That's the sound of heaven, isn't it? We're going to sing a song. It's kind of an older one uh, that many of you may be like, wow, I haven't even heard that in like 20 plus years. Uh, it's a little slower than uh, you'd normally hear it sung. But just tonight, as we set our gaze upon heaven and what awaits us, this living hope that we have that Paul's going to unpack for us in First Thessalonians that Jack's going to talk about tonight. Um, for those of us who are in Christ, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit and we have this hope that we get to be with Jesus. And so we have this blessed assurance that we have Christ, that he has called us forward. And so as we sing uh, these words, uh, it's a little slower on purpose because I just want our hearts to kind of center around the words and to really think about what it is that we're singing about, but just how beautiful it's gonna be when one day we just we get to see, not just in part, but we get to see in whole. And so as we sing, uh, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed his blood, it's beautiful. Let's just worship him as we sing that, all right?
gather around the throne just to lift up your, your name above all other names. This is the promise that we've received from you and your word says all your promises are yes and amen. That means you are faithful, God. That means you don't back down from what you say. And if we look back at history, we just see time after time after time where you've shown your faithfulness, God. That you've been there for your people to rescue and to redeem from the darkest of situations. 
the moments where there was no hope. That's the same God that we worship tonight. And so we praise you for your faithfulness. And we thank you that it gives us great hope for our future. That no matter what we face, God, no matter what's in our lives tonight, whatever giants we need slain before us, God, that we might experience some moments of defeat, some moments where we might wonder where you are. And yet, God, when we cry out to you, you're never far away. And you're always right on time when you show up. So thank you, God, that we get to worship you tonight like this. We pray that you would just continue to move as we continue worshiping in the word. God, would you speak through Pastor Jack? The things that we need to hear, the words that we need to put into our lives, to apply into our lives. Our hearts are open. Our ears are open to hear from you tonight. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. And so we pray all these things in your precious and your holy name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Amen. Well, it's great to worship together. Um, glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. And being here, thanks for tuning in online. For those of you that are there, uh, if you're online, you actually still have 29 minutes where you could just listen in the car and your phone and get down here for the food truck rally afterwards. And so if you, uh, I know I met a couple people, this is your first night, you picked the best night to be here. So uh, this is a great night to be here, so we're glad that you're here. We've been in a series uh, through First and Second Thessalonians. At time to time, we'll do some topical series. We did one on mental health, and what does the scripture have to say about that a few months back? Now we're kind of going through First and Second Thessalonians this fall, and we'll get into, like, Christmas will be here before we know it. So... Um, as uh, you are there, if you do have uh, your phone, if you want to open up and go to Sermon Notes, if you just open up the app, you can scroll down to Sermon Notes, you can follow along with what we're looking at. And we are, as Lyle mentioned, we're kind of targeting in on heaven. Last week, we kind of started chapter four, First uh, Thessalonians, and we kind of looked at this idea that this is just a reminder, a quick reminder. Uh, remember, Paul is writing this letter, the, the Apostle Paul writing back to this new church plant in Thessalonica. And he's writing back to them. Remember, he was there for a while, got it planted got it going, and then he got kicked out, and he was kind of forced to leave, sent Timothy back to them, he poured into them, and, and, and then he brought the report back to Paul, Paul's then writing the letter back, and so he's maybe responding to some of those questions that were going on, and chapter four really is about three main topics, and it's this idea of like sexuality, and uh, like money, and work, and about death. And so last week, we kind of looked at the, you know, what does the scripture have to say just around our whole idea of, of our sexuality and, and how do we do that in life with God and life following after Jesus? And what does that look like? What's the Apostle Paul kind of saying there and about work and money? And what we see in the Greek and Roman culture is they didn't share their money with anybody and they shared their bed with everybody. And, and when Paul was saying, listen, no, no, we, we're the, no, we share our table with everyone. And we don't uh, with our bed. And then he's going to look into this last part of like when it comes to death, uh, like here's the reality. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, you're not going to live forever. What? I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, but I, I hope that you kind of knew that. Uh, it, like we all have a shelf life. The reality is you don't know the expiration date. Neither do I. 
Uh, but the truth is we all have a shelf life in it. And, and so we have this process that something's coming. And, and the reality of what Paul is writing back to those who are believers in Jesus is that I want you to have this hope of what is next. I want you to live with this hope that you can live with that in the current moment you're in and the moment to come. And so Paul's going to respond to that. He's kind of looking at the whole chapter, but we're going to spend the last part of chapter 4 looking at that today. But I want to start with this idea of um, anyone ever seen Wizard of Oz, right? A few of you have seen Wizard of Oz. One of the famous lines in the Wizard of Oz is Dorothy uh, kind of clicks her heels. I can't do that very well. Uh, but like, and she says, there's no place like home, right? And, and there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, how many of you, you got to travel some? Uh, and, and traveling's an awesome thing, and you can go halfway around the world and see amazing things, but there is nothing like walking into your home. And, and there's just something about home that is very settling to who we are, whether you rent whether you own whatever that is, that your place that you get to call home. We enjoy this life, and according to Jesus, he's actually preparing a home for you if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, what we're going to look at tonight is if you are a follower of Jesus, this is the promise. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you get the eavesdrop in on the promise and hope that we have as believers. You may have questions about it, and I, I understand. You may have pushback even in it, and that's okay. Like, we don't want to be a church where you have to believe everything in order to belong. Uh, but our hope is that you would wrestle through what Jesus is saying about life. Uh, and, and I just tend to land on the fact that when a guy predicts his own death and gets back up, I'm riding with him. Because um, I haven't seen that happen. And so I'm just living with that truth. I'm basing my whole life on it. And so here's the truth. Here's what uh, Jesus says uh, to his followers way back then and is still true for us today. John 14, here's what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Not your neighbor, a place for you, a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Jesus, long before Arnold use the famous phrase, I'll be back. Uh, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. There's a promise, there's a hope in this about us finding a heavenly home with Jesus. Now, people will ask, what does heaven look like? Great question. Uh, there's a lot of things we can look at in the scripture, and I don't have time to unpack that tonight, but we may uh, in a future sermon. Uh, you know, what is, what is heaven going to involve? What are we going to do when we're there? Well, I'm pretty sure we're not going to float on clouds and play harps. Like, that's a reality of what we see in, like, commercials or what we see. Listen, the reality is we're going to worship. The reality is we're going to be at home, and, and it's going to be with Jesus, and you will be blessed. Do I know what all that looks like? No. Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping if I don't get a hole-in-one here in this world, that maybe golf will be in heaven, and I'll finally get one there. I'm hoping I'll be able to dunk a basketball. I have longed to do that. It will not happen on this planet, gravity, but maybe in heaven. 
I don't know. We can look at Randy uh, Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. It's got great description of looking at biblical understanding of that, if you want to check that out. Uh, but here's what Paul begins to write about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as he's kind of setting the scene. Remember, this is about, about 51 AD. Timothy's come back, and now he's writing back to them. And I want to look at what he writes in uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 13 through 18. Here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died, rose again, and so we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, here's what I do know. A lot of people have a lot of questions about what's next. What's after this life? Some people believe that there is nothing and that this is what you got and when you go into the grave, that's it. A lot of people have a different view of that. In fact, uh, here's a study and this is not surprising because it's done with the AARP. So people who are older, let's just say 50 plus, uh, people have surveyed about, okay, do you believe in life after death? People surveyed, 94% believe that they claim to believe God, 87% said they're spiritual, and over 66% agreed that their confidence in life after death has increased as they age. Duh. Why? Because you want to have hope uh, the older you get. You want to know that there's something. All cultures have had a thought around heaven. Uh, Randy writes about this in his book called Heaven. The sense that we will live forever somewhere is shaped in every civilization in human history. Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was a distant island beyond the, west, uh, the east. Mexicans, Peruvians, Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or the moon after death. Native Americans believed in the afterlife of the spirits would hunt spirits of buffaloes. The Gilgamesh epic, an ancient Babylonian legend, refers to a resting place of heroes and hints of a tree of life. In the pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies uh, have maps that are placed next to them to be a guide in the future world. Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. Every culture in history has had this thought about the afterlife. All these depictions of the afterlife differ, but the unifying testimony of the human heart throughout history is the belief that there's got to be something more than just this. Anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has had a God-given innate sense of eternity in their hearts, which is what the scriptures write about. God has placed eternity in the hearts of men that they would pursue after him or long for something more. So Paul is writing back and giving this answer to these people that are struggling with opposition, and not just opposition, but with persecution. Uh, we live in America, and I'm just going to remind us again, we may face opposition for our faith at times, but friends, you are not persecuted nor am I for our faith. 
There are men and women, brothers and sisters in the faith living in North Korea and Afghanistan and a host of other places around this world who face real persecution where potentially they may die for their faith. I may get yelled at or rejected, and that's about all I'll ever face in this country. And so we have to understand that. In the Thessalonica in the first century, around 51 AD, they were being persecuted, not oppressed for their faith, persecuted. And so you have to understand that some of these believers were writing back to Paul saying, listen, what is next in this? We want to know. See, the reality of death is that it awaits each one of us. We all have a shelf life. We may not know our expiration date, but the reality is there. And Paul is wanting them to know the truth. Because the truth is what we need. The truth is what sets us free, Jesus says. So in the New Testament, you'll make distinctions. Uh, what They make distinctions between body and soul. So when we say, okay, what happens next after death? Really what you're asking is two different questions. What happens to my soul and what happens to my body? And what we see in the host of different passages in the scriptures, and I put some of those in your notes, several passages make it clear that the death of a soul, uh, or when you die as a soul of a believer, one who has placed their faith in Jesus, that when you close your eyes here, you awaken in the presence of Jesus. That your soul is lifted there. You enter in the presence of Jesus if you're a believer. Um, that our identity is not lost. You will still be you. But without sin, you will be home. There's no place like home. And the scriptures say over and over. You can read in 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 5, Philippians chapter 2, and here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now the second question, what happens to our bodies? That's what Paul is kind of addressing here uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The question of the focus of this passage, verses 13 through 15. The soul uh, will sleep. Our, when we die, our soul will awaken in heaven. Our body will sleep. It's rest. Sleep is a common metaphor for death in the Bible. Sleep is temporary. Death for our bodies is temporary. Sleep is followed by waking up. Death is followed by a resurrection. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This truth is we all will rise and we will reside somewhere. And that's what the scriptures continually point back to. You want to ride with Jesus. You want to be with him. You don't want to be without him. That's what the scriptures are pointing to. Paul's wanting his readers to know the truth when it comes to death because they're facing persecution. And that they can have a hope that can hold them in the midst of the turmoil that they're facing and the potential even death loss that they are facing. We grieve the loss of loved ones. Mourning is a natural part, an emotional necessity of life. Jesus wept at the graveside of Lazarus. We see, if you think about your own life, you have loss that you grieve, and it's part of life. I lost my mom 16 years ago. There still isn't a year that goes by that I don't think about it. There are still rare occasions that I'll actually begin to dial her number. Why? Because my heart longs to connect with her. She's one of the heroes in life. And so there's still a missing around, especially around the holidays. I just, I wish she was here. I don't want her to be here. I know where she is, and she's way better off. 
she's not in pain anymore. Uh, but the reality is we all have to navigate grief. I've done a ton of weddings. I've done three times as many funerals. This is going to sound weird, but I actually enjoy funerals more than weddings. And here's why. Uh, well, f a wedding has so many expectations. Um, but a funeral, you get to walk alongside people who are hurting. And you get to come alongside in, in hopefully a way that brings some hope and encouragement. And I actually like being a pastor. And I like trying to shepherd and walk alongside people who are hurting in some of their deepest, darkest moments. And to meet them in that moment. I love to meet people at weddings too and celebrate moments. But I think walking alongside people at some of the, the darkest moments is something where you can actually bring some light and truth there. I have people ask me all the time, I do a lot, of, um, a lot of funerals, people ask, how do you navigate grief? Because they're grieving in that moment. And the scripture has a lot of truth to say about things. I think the best picture I've ever stumbled upon that I share a lot at funerals is, um, is if you've ever stood out in the ocean, about knee deep or thigh deep in the ocean, there's two realities that hit you. One is, the waves never stop. There's no on-off switch for the waves. There's no lifeguard that gets there in the morning and turns them on and turns them off at night. They are always coming. And most waves roll right past you, but the second reality that you discover is that there are occasions, about every eight, nine, ten waves, that they pack a punch and they kind of knock you off balance. They sink your toes into the sand. You've got to readjust and get your bearings again. And friends, I think that is how you navigate grief. The waves don't stop. I still miss my mom. Most of the time, it's fond memories and it's beautiful life lessons that I remember. But there are occasions that there's a wave that packs a little more punch. And it kind of knocks me off balance emotionally. And i got to get my bearings again. And for some of you, you know that feeling as you think about those that are special to you that you've lost. And so Paul's writing back and he says, listen, I want you to have a hope. See, we all will grieve, but we as a follower of Jesus get to grieve with hope. You want to grieve with hope. What you don't want is to grieve with no hope. Friends, I'm telling you, you want to grieve with Jesus. We have a hope and a confidence in regarding the future based on the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died for your sins and he was raised from the dead and we are promised resurrection for those who place our trust in him. That's the gospel, as simple as I can put it. You can rely on yourself for your life and I will say go for it and see where that takes you. As for me, I know where that takes me to a whole lot of dead ends. And I know in myself, I know I'm pretty broken and I need help. And so Jesus made a way for me to have life with him now and life with him eternal. And so I choose to ride with him because he's the one that gives me the hope. He's the one that provides the hope that I'll get to see my mom again. He's the one uh, that 
I get to have hope not only in the days and the struggles that I face here, but a hope that is to come. See, in the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus is not only a proof, it's a promise. It's the proof that the Father accepts Jesus' death and his sacrifice on your behalf and on my behalf. It's a promise that as Jesus was resurrected, we get to taste in resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was the first of its kind, but it will not be the last. Because of his resurrection, we who have faith in him are promised resurrection as well. The same power that's at work within him is at work within you and within me. That Jesus is going to return. He's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when, when it's ready, I will come and take you to be with me where I am. That uh, this passage here in First Thessalonians talks about that Jesus will return with a loud command. The term is kind of used as a charioteer would, uh, or would call out uh, to the horses over his command or calling out to the soldiers that he was leading. The voice of an archangel. And in scripture, we only know a couple uh, names of archangels. Uh, Daniel refers to Michael, the archangel. Uh, so we know that one. So is it Michael who's calling out? I don't know. But Jesus is coming back. The trumpet of God will call. Trumpets were commonly used to call people out for an assembly or to rally them for a celebration. Here's what I do know. Jesus Christ will return physically, visibly, dramatically. And when he does, those who have fallen asleep before, who have had their faith in Jesus at their death, will ride with him. And then we will see them. So here's how this plays out. Am I still going to be alive when Jesus returns? I have no idea, and neither do you. I have a lot of Christian friends who want to sit and argue about when Jesus is coming back. Look at the signs around us. He's coming back next week. He's coming back next month. I don't know. Here's what Jesus said. He didn't know. Only the Father knew. And so I'm just going to ride with Jesus. If he didn't know... I don't have to know. You can wrestle, you can look through the scriptures, look through Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discord. Jesus said, here's the signs and wonders that will be taking place. If you want to sit and argue about it and try to figure out when exactly it's going to play out, good luck. I'm not going to spend my energy doing that. Here's what I do know. Jesus said, live ready. Which means live ready for now, for next day, for the next week. Live ready. Here's what I do know. The scriptures say that a a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. If that's true, then the church has been around for two days. Think about that. The church, what Jesus established, the movement that he set in motion has been around for two days. Two and a half, maybe, I'll give you that. So, does that mean he's coming back next week? I don't know. Could it be another 2,000 years? I don't know. I'm told to live ready. I'm told that he's coming back. And I'm told that I have a hope if I ride with him. That's where my focus is. And so as we think about what's next, I would encourage you to put your energy there. Now, some people will say, okay, if our souls are with Jesus and and our bodies go in the ground and then God's going to raise them back, like, what do you do with cremation? Like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be cremated. You know why? It's cheaper. That's the deal. 
Some people won't be cremated because they're, they're, they're afraid that, well, well, if I cremate my body, if God's going to raise my body, like, i got to have a body. Listen, you are disintegrating the moment you die, okay? There's not life going through you anymore, okay? So what do you do with the people who have been dead for, like, their bodies have been dead for five, 600 years? And their bones. Here's what I know, okay? In the creation story, God created that created word is a divine creation. Speaking of a divine power, he made something out of nothing. Listen, you are creative. You are not a creator. We are called in the image of God to be creative. But here's what you do. You and I, we assemble matter that we already have access to and we put it together. We don't make nothing or we don't make something out of nothing. Only God does that. So if he can make something out of nothing, then he can take my ashes and put my body back together. I'm good with that, okay? So I want to answer that question because some people will argue about that and figure it out. I can't find anywhere in Scripture that says don't be this or do this only. You won't find that in the pages of Scripture. What you find is this idea of this trust and this hope that God's got you and he's okay, that the God who created the universe can take care of you and when you get a new body... When you get a new body, it will be a heavenly body, which I want you to think about that, the beauty of that. Do you remember Jesus in the resurrected body afterwards? Do you remember when the disciples were locked in a room and all of a sudden Jesus just showed up in the middle of the room? What? Your heavenly body's going to get to do stuff like that. I think that's pretty sweet. I want to be able to walk through a wall. Like, I've always wanted to walk through a wall. I tried one time, didn't work. Like, I just, your body is going to be different. It's not going to deteriorate. Come on, amen, right? It's not going to fall apart. It's not going to be broken. I'm not going to get up and be like, oh, man, that ache. Like, you're not going to have that. You're going to have a heavenly body that is prepared just like Jesus' body. Resurrection will transform you. Walt Disney's uh, Pinocchio uh, has a fascinating little theological insight that you probably miss. In the movie, Pinocchio is a living wooden puppet, and he drowns. And Geppetto, who carved him, is brokenhearted. He kneels over the boy, sobbing. The blue fairy comes, and she speaks to Pinocchio. Awake, Pinocchio, awake! And Pinocchio wakes up, and he's no longer a wooden puppet. But he's now wrapped in flesh, and he's a real boy. Uh, what appears to be death is actually just the opposite. It's death that transforms Pinocchio into one who is fully alive. And I think what the scriptures are saying is that resurrection will be just like that. That the resurrection will do that for us. Our natural body will be, have a resurrected body, will be more fully alive than ever. So the mystery of the rapture and reunion. Here's what he says. After that, we who are still alive, verse 17, and are left to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. You'll be with the Lord forever. That's the point. Where's heaven? I don't know. It's with the Lord forever. Let's just figure that out. Let's go there. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What's the point of this passage? To encourage one another to a people who are facing persecution, to a people who are facing and asking the question, what's next? That's you and me. Encourage one another with these words. The original Greek verb means to snatch up. Those will be caught up in the air. It's to be snatched or seized or extracted. It conveys this idea of suddenness and with force. 
When Jesus Christ returns, along with those who have died in faith in him before, we will all be extracted away, caught up with him, and will be with him. Paul's saying elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 15, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, will be transformed in that. Both the living and the formerly dead will be together because of faith in Jesus. Here's the important part. You want to ride with Jesus. You don't want to ride without him. That's the point of this. We have a hope with him. You'll be with your Savior forever. There are three main views I don't have time to get into about when will the rapture happen. There are people who say there's pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. Tribulation is the trib part. Okay? Pre-trib means, okay, like before the great tribulation at the end times, Jesus comes back and he brings his people uh, with him and he takes his believers, those who put their faith in him, and they avoid the tribulation. Mid-trib is halfway through. Mid. Okay? Post-trib is we live the whole way through the tribulation and then the Jesus returns. When will this happen? Pastor, tell me when this will happen. I have no idea. Scholars have argued about this for 2,000 years. Here's the point. I don't care when it happens. I'm with Jesus. And when he comes back, I'm going to be with him. So if that's pre-trib, great. I'd prefer that one. Mid-trib, okay. Maybe we can wait it out a little bit. Post-trib, yeah, I'd rather not. But I'm with Jesus. And I have a hope for today, whether I'm facing tribulation or not, because I have a hope with him forever. And so it doesn't matter when it is. And you can spend your whole time trying to argue about it. Feel free. But at the end of the day, it's about being with Jesus. You want to be with him. We are to encourage one another. We have a secure future and a hope beyond death. To know what's next is to know who is next that you're going to be with. And that's Jesus. The writers of the New Testament clearly depict that the enemy is the one who's wanting to hold us captive and live in fear of death. Read Hebrews 2, 15. Satan doesn't want us to live in a freedom and in a hope. He wants us to live in fear and trapped by that. But in Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. We have an eternal promise that walks with us in this day and in every day to come. A security that holds us. C.S. Lewis described our current experience, the reality of the moment you are in right now. Your life is only the cover and title page of the entire book. Death takes us to the first chapter of the real story, he says. He referred to our current world as the Shadowlands. Since we live in a world that's damaged by sin, the world to come is greater, is a much, much greater reality. With the death of our souls, uh, with uh, our death, our souls enter heaven, and with the return of Jesus, our body is transformed and we are made new. The New Testament emphasizes that our secure future should shape and influence our todays and how we live in the moment that we're in. This passage is a promise for us and a hope for us, for those who choose Jesus. And friend, that's my deepest encouragement to you again tonight. You want to choose Jesus. You want to be with him. 
you don't want to not be with him. It's better for you. Pastor D.L. Moody years and years ago said, one day you're going to hear that D.L. Moody in Northfield, Massachusetts is dead. Don't you believe it? That day I will be more alive than ever. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what Paul says. That we get to be with him. Our soul is reunited. We have a hope for our future because our home is not here. Home's a beautiful thing. We are just passing through here. But Jesus is preparing a place for you, remember? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There are more than enough room in my Father's house. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you, and you may be with me always, forever. We have a hope that holds us now and a hope that holds us forever. Some of you uh, had a fork on your chair when you came in, and you were like, that's weird. And you're right, because I've never done that before. Um, there was an older woman who was facing terminal uh, cancer, and so she called her pastor, and she said, I just I want to talk through the funeral arrangements. I want to talk through the service that you're going to do. I'd like to, to just process the end of my life with you. And I know I only have a couple months left. And so the pastor came over to visit and they talked through everything. They figured out the order of the service and who would speak and what Bible verses would be read, what songs might be sung. And they talked all through the arrangements, prayed together. And then the pastor stood to leave and, and the woman was waving goodbye. And suddenly she said, wait, 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 wait. One more thing. I almost forgot. I want you to, to bury me with a fork in my hand. And there was a long pause, and the pastor was like, a, any particular fork? She don't, I don't care about what fork. A fork in my hand. Don't forget it. And he said, uh, okay, do you mind walking me through why? She said, listen, have you ever been to celebrations with food? Yeah, yeah. Remember all the church potlucks we've done? Oh, yeah, I remember all the church potlucks. Have you ever been to, like, the feast of, of like, at Thanksgiving with family all gathered around, right? And he's like, yeah, I remember all those things. He said, me too. One of my favorite words to hear is when they were clearing the table from the main dish, and they would lean over and tap me and say, keep your fork. Because I knew dessert was coming. And it was the best. And it, whether it was going to be apple pie or ice cream or whatever it was, I knew it was going to be the best part of the entire meal. I want you to bury me with a fork. Because the best is still to come. So I don't know how this sermon hits you. I don't know what it stirs in your heart. I know for some of you, I know for some of you, I get it. There are questions. And there's even opposition in your own heart. I get it. Jesus isn't afraid of that, friend. For some of you, I know. Gosh, I know you've had so much happen to you in life. I wish it weren't so. 
And I know it's hard for you to believe. But I'm telling you, you want to ride with Jesus. Because he did everything in the world to prove that he wanted to ride with you. That he came for you. That he rose for you. And he promises to come back for you. For those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a really long time, keep your fork. Because the best is yet to come. This really is the shadow lands. We're just passing through. This isn't home. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. That's home. I'm going to give you a body that's better than what you got now. You're dealing with the brokenness of the world in which that is broken. But there's a better thing coming. And so as we sing uh, this last final song together, um, we're going to have a party tonight. And I think in some ways, this is just a little foretaste and a shadow. Uh, you don't have to keep your fork because, like, there's forks out there you'll find. Um, but, like, <clears throat> it's just a little foretaste. I think of just the feast of heaven. The kingdom of heaven says uh, that there's something awaiting you and awaiting me as people who put their faith in Jesus. And so, friend, um, may this encourage you to live today with a hope that will hold you today and a hope that will hold you and carry you on into the future. You can still have questions. You can still have things you're searching through. But let it hold you. We grieve as those who, ha who have hope. And that's something our world needs more of. So, Father, I pray. In these uh, next couple minutes here as we sing this final song, would you just stir our hearts, encourage us? Um, thank you for the hope that we have that the Apostle Paul is recording here, 1 Thessalonians 4, that we can know that our soul is with you in the instant we die. Our body will be resurrected and will be made new, transformed. And that we not only can hold on to the hope that we have that holds us in this moment, but it's a hope that secures a future for us forevermore. So would you allow that to shine in the way that we can live our life now with that hope? A hope that we get to see our loved ones again, our friends again, those who have put their faith in Jesus. So God, would you just stir our hearts in these moments, we pray.
as it is in heaven it's in me sing it church sing it like you believe it tonight sing it with me here we go I'll see you picked a great night to be here. Um, a hope that we have that can hold us on into the future. Uh, so just as we wrap up, a couple quick things. Um, again, if you are uh, brand new tonight, uh, I'd love the, the honor to meet you. We have a 10-minute party. Karen's already back there. I'll be back there in about 35 seconds. I would love to meet you. We have a free gift for you uh, for being new, um, but you're going to miss out on what I'm going to say next. So lots of different things happening. You can check out the app for that. We don't do giving by passing a plate here. Uh, we do it in giving boxes in the back. A lot of folks give online or through the app, so I invite you to be a part of that, partnering with your church and doing things here. Uh, but if uh, you have been coming for like the last five weeks or less, so like you're a newbie, okay? Listen, I'm going to dismiss you right now because here's the deal. 
uh, we've had someone cover the first $100 of each food truck, okay? And we believe in new people. We believe in guests. We believe in inviting guests here. So if you have been new, like in the last month, I'm going to invite you to slip out right now. If you started volunteering somewhere, like where's the, Chris, like you started volunteering at eKids and stuff. Like, you rock, okay? So you go first. Um, and so if you started volunteering on a team around here, that's a big deal to us. And so I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm like serious. So like if you've been only here like less than a month, go. Like, it's okay. Uh, you're first up. Uh, once we hit the $100 limit, it's on you. Um, but we just love having you here. So if you are brand new tonight, your first night, I'd love to meet you. Uh, and we'll be back at the 10-minute party. If not, we're dismissed. We've got uh, different things out here to do and hang out. Just stick around with us and uh, we'll see you back here next Sunday. We'll see you outside. Dinner's really close tonight. It's like 20 feet, okay? So um, we'd love to invite you to stick around. But God bless you, friends. We'll see you outside.